Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to episode 33 of the Snyder Cut. I am your just glowing host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider, and we have got a jam-packed show for you today, let me tell you. Uh, yeah, no, t- no time for pleasantries. I mean, I hope you guys had a good Mother's Day. I, I you know, looked at old photos of, of my mom, so I hope you en- enjoyed the weekend. There was, uh, I hope you watched the Mark Ruffalo show. I know this much is true. I want to talk about that later in the episode. Um, and yeah, what else came out? Capone came out this week. We're going to talk about that. We've got all kinds of fun stuff, but let's take it from the top and talk about Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg has a new Netflix movie, Our Man from Jersey. It's going to be a blue collar spy movie. It's written by David Guggenheim, who did Safe House. Safe House produced by Scott Stuber, who now runs Netflix's whole movie cabal. Um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, again, there's not a lot of plot details on this one, but I just think it's like, it's so funny that Mark Wahlberg, he does Spencer Confidential. It gets 85 million views. It sets the Netflix record in March, uh, this past March when it came out for, you know, the most viewed original movie of all time. Then a month later, Chris Hemsworth comes out, tops it with extraction. And you know that Mark Wahlberg wants all the records. He will not settle for this. This will not stand. He was like, get me back to Netflix. I'm coming for the record. I think that this movie is probably even more commercial than something like Spencer Confidential, which was isn't a great title. Didn't have, um, I mean, you know, I, I love, as much as I love Winston Duke, didn't have a real major co-star with him. It's not like he's like with Denzel from Two Guns. So, you know, I don't know, again, the plot of this spy movie, but every spy movie typically has a villain. If he could get a mega star, like, you know, on his level, to star opposite opposite him in Our Man from Jersey, this is something that could get 100 million views. I'm just saying it's possible. Of course, Netflix's you know subscriber numbers also continue to go up, so that that, that will play into it. But uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to that one. Um, you know, it's it's not maybe maybe they'll get Peter Berg to direct it. They they didn't announce the director on this one. We don't know. Netflix had a busy week though this week. They picked up uh, that ball and chain package that I think broke late last week with uh, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt playing a married couple who inherit superpowers somehow, except the superpowers only work when they're together. So they got to do things in tandem. They got to learn to put their differences aside, work together to save whoever or, whoever or whatever it is they're trying to save. So that deal, I guess, finally closed with uh, Netflix picking that up. Netflix also got uh, Bad Trip. Now, this was an interesting one. So, you know, this was MGM's hidden camera comedy. It was supposed to make a splash at South by Southwest and then come out, uh, you know, a few weeks later. It ended up leaking on Amazon on what would have been its opening day, uh, I think on, you know, April 17th or 27th, whatever it was. And then, yeah, so so Netflix just picked it up. It's with uh, Eric Andre, Lil Rel, How- Lil Rel Howery, and uh, Tiffany Haddish. And I think that people, you know, could use a laugh right now. I think that, you know, we're starting to see, what I predict is that you're going to see more comedies greenlit after all this is over. Because people really are in the mood to laugh. They've had enough, you know, sort of just like the, the depressing uh, monotony of it all. So 
hopefully comedies make, make a comeback. I'm not surprised that Netflix wanted to pick this one up. You know, I'm sure the cost wasn't that high. Um, you know, it's a hidden camera comedy after all. So it wasn't, it didn't have a big price tag on it. Netflix also picked up a pair of rom-coms with Reese Witherspoon. And Deadline made it out to sound like this was her first time working with Netflix. But if you'll remember, Netflix actually won a bidding war for the Simon Kinberg project, Pyros, that has Reese Witherspoon, uh, you know, attached to star. These rom-coms, one of them is going to mark the directorial debut of uh, Alain Brosh McKenna, the, the, you know, incredibly gifted screenwriter of Devil Wears Prada and a whole bunch of other movies. So, she, you know, she, she has been on enough film sets to have uh, learned her way around the camera and whatnot. And uh, I think that she certainly earned the chance to, uh, to, yeah, make her directorial debut with this thing. It's called uh, Your Place or Mine. And then the other one is called The Cactus. It's, I believe it's based on a book about a woman who gets like pregnant at, at 45 and how it you know changes her relationships and all that kind of stuff. Again, this is sort of what I was talking about before. I think that uh, Netflix has always sort of done romantic comedies well. It's been a strength of theirs. And I think people like seeing Reese Witherspoon in those kinds of roles. She hasn't actually done as many of them as you would think. She's not like a rom-com queen by any stretch, I don't think. Um, but lately, you know, it's been a lot of these heavy limited series like little fires everywhere big little lies uh you know the morning show which is you know recurring series on apple of course but uh i I think it'll be nice to see something a little bit lighter from her wild is another example of a really dark movie that 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 she did uh, or darker at least um yeah but people want that romance they're cut off right now they they, you know dating has really taken a hit i think a rom-com makes everybody feel good and so uh kudos to netflix for i mean these are some big names getting into bed with mark Wahlberg again dwayne johnson emily blunt reese witherspoon it's hard to argue with the strategy over there um on amazon side they got alan taylor to direct the pilot for ring worlds which is a big sci-fi project based on the larry niven book and series of books this is, you know, we had a big interview with Akiva Goldsman. I think Frosty spoke to him this week. And, and so Akiva sort of mentioned that in the interview. Look, at my, my cat is just tearing apart the, the ottoman. What are you doing over there, Lola? You're distracting me now in the middle of the show. Anyways, Alan Taylor, you know, did Game of Thrones. He's done a zillion TV series. He was practically like, HBO has this guy on speed dial. He's directed every major show for them. The movies haven't quite worked out very well. He did Thor The Dark World and Terminator Genesis. So that, no more really needs to be said about that. But this is not a movie. It's a TV show. It's got Akiva Goldsman writing it. Uh, he's an Oscar-winning writer, even though obviously he's been behind some, uh, some schlocky stuff as well. I don't know. You know, this kind of universe-building sci-fi has never really been my bag. It's not just Sofia Coppola stuff, uh, which we're going to talk about later. But, um, yeah, you know, I've never – I don't need to read Ringworld to know, like, this is just not going to be for me. I just looked at the cover of the book, and I was like, nah. I did a little bit of research on, you know, what it's about. It just, uh, it, do, it doesn't appeal to me. So it's, it, if you like Westworld, if you're, if you're watching that kind of stuff, the expanse on sci-fi, I imagine that's the kind of, those are the kind of folks who are, you know, are really anticipating this show. Same thing with like Wheel of Time that Amazon's developing. They're sinking a lot of money into these big IPs, whether it's Ringworld, Wheel of Time, Lord of the Rings, etc. So I, you know, I wish them the best of luck with that strategy, and, and and it probably will pay off. It's just not what appeals to me. It's not what why I'm signing up for a streaming service. 
Um, Kate Blanchett. Short, just days after signing up for Eli Roth's Lionsgate movie, Borderlands, based on the hit video game, she picked up two more movies this week. We broke the news that she's in talks to join Jennifer Lawrence in the ensemble movie Don't Look Up from Adam McKay. That's uh, over at Netflix. I think that's going to be a real priority for them once production is able to resume. And then Armageddon Time, which is James Gray's next movie. I don't know when that is actually going to go before cameras. Um, from what I gather, that's about a kid. And the thing about kids is they grow up super quickly. You know, so it's like if you don't, you could have one kid in mind. And then, you know, in case your movie, you're waiting on Cape Blanchett or for whatever reason it gets delayed, like something like this, the kid shoots up a, a foot and a half, you know, in, in that year and a half, you, you got to start all over. So uh, t- timing is going to be essential to that one. Armageddon time. It's, it's basically based on James Gray's experiences, uh, you know, going to this private school in Queens and Fred, that's where Donald Trump went. Fred Trump was on the board. And, uh, and, and I know that the principal is a big character. I don't know if that is going to be Kate Blanchett. You can certainly see her as a school principal or whether she's going to play the mother of the young protagonist. Um, and yeah, as for Don't Look Up, it's, it's the one about the uh, two astronauts or, or, you know, whatever, the scientists who discover that there's this meteor coming to Earth that is going to obliterate Earth in like six months or something. And so they go on a media tour to warn everybody. And it's a satire. Um, again, I don't know what Kate Blanchett, what her uh, role is going to be in that one either. So stay tuned. But Kate Blanchett, she, she is she is just lining things up. Boom, boom, boom. I guess she already wrapped her role in Guillermo's next movie, Nightmare Alley. Um, Luca Guadagnino directing Scarface. This is a project, man, I think I've been on that thing since February. It's been a couple months since I'd heard uh, that Luca was going to do Scarface. I guess it, at the time I'd heard that he'd already sort of been circling it for a couple months. And so they just didn't know whether it was going to go one way or the other. It ended up going the right way, as I suspected that it would. Um, you'd think that you would learn something about remaking a classic after doing Suspiria. Because, I mean, as much as I love, you know, uh, some of Luca's work, Call Me By Your Name, um, yeah, Suspiria was horrible. It was terrible. So I just, I, you know, why, why if you do a terrible interpretation of Suspiria or remake, whatever you, you want to call it, why do you go at, chase another movie like this? And why, if you're the studio, you're making this kind of act? It's just, I don't know, it's a little weird. He's a good filmmaker. I just don't know if I see him on this. Then again, I didn't see the Coens either, and they came in and did, and did a rewrite, and that's the, the script that uh, I think Universal's really trying to back. So, you know, I, I don't know if Luca comes in and put a, it puts a spin on this. I saw one report, granted not from anybody that I know, uh, saying that Michael B. Jordan was reportedly going to play Scarface. Now, the reason that I think that that has an element of truth at least is that I know that universal loves Michael B. Jordan and, and, you know, definitely wants to be in business with him, uh, you know, sees him as a, as a movie star. I just, you know, the, the studio had been, been developing it for Diego Luna for a long time. They wanted a Mexican actor. Like the lead was written as a guy from Mexico. Uh, I know, you know, in, in not the original movie, but the first remake with Al Pacino, it's Cuban. So I don't know, like, do you make, would you make Michael B. Jordan an immigrant? I don't know how that would work where he, whatever. I got to wait to see the take. I I guess I'm excited by Luca Coen Brothers Scarface. 
at the same time, I love the, the Pacino Scarface. I don't know that it has to be redone. Although, I, I mean, I could see how with the right take, it could be really good. I just, I don't know what that take is. I'll know it when I see it. Luca, an interesting choice. Hopefully it works out better than the last time. Uh, Tim Story doing Nightwolf. This is like his fifth or sixth or tenth movie with Kevin Hart. He's directed him in a pair of ride-along movies, Think Like a Man movies, uh, and, and three concert films, I believe. This is actually a really interesting, it's like a meet-the-parents type of premise where a guy goes to meet his father, his, his future father-in-law. He's you know, uh, engaged to this, this woman. And dad, or I don't know if he has to, has to get the blessing of the dad before he proposes. I don't know what the plot of the movie is. He sees him as his future father-in-law. And dad turns out to be this you know, former superhero. So as I wrote in the piece, it's like, to me, there are three people that you make this movie with. The first is Samuel L. Jackson. Like, that's just an easy one. Probably the easiest yes, especially, you know, if you're, if you're flashing some, some money at him. Uh, I mean, you know, Sam, Sam Jackson does a lot of crap. Uh, I think that's fair to say. God bless him. Love Sam Jackson. I think he's hilarious. Uh, I would absolutely go watch a Sam Jackson Kevin Hart movie. Sign me up. The step up from Sam Jackson is Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, you know, is a more natural comedian than Sam Jackson, obviously. Doesn't do a lot of work. Uh, but I don't know. STX is also a little bit different than than other studios. If they could get Eddie, I think that they should try. And... Again, Eddie and Kevin Hart, that sounds like a box office hit to me. That sounds like a great recipe. The step up from Eddie, and this would be amazing, because I think it would be the, maybe the best fit for the character. Again, I haven't read the script. I don't know how the script is written. But if you get Denzel, because Denzel has that De Niro, like, no bullshit, serious actor. If you could convince him to do a comedy... I think him and Kevin Hart would be amazing. And, and you could see Denzel like being a former superhero. Yeah. STX, a lot of potential with that, with that project. STX also picked up a project from my old boss, Luke Greenfield, who, uh, you know, I wish I was on better terms with Luke. I, 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 he had, he had made mention of a movie uh, that he was working on, which was this, this focus movie, half brothers, uh, and, and I was, you know, I wanted to ask him about it just like off the record or whatever. And, and he was like, yeah, you know, he ignored me or didn't want to tell me or whatever it was. And I'm like, that's fine. And, you know, he doesn't have to tell me stuff. Like I, th- I thought we were buddies and you know, all he has to do is say off the record and I wouldn't write anything. But, uh, so the next day I got a tip all about the movie and, you know, listen, the same way that he didn't owe me an answer about you know, what he was working on, I, you know, didn't really owe him a heads up about the story. I mean, I think I even gave him a heads up, but uh, either way, he was very upset. He was like, you know, how could you do this to me? I'm like, what do you mean do this to you? I wrote like a glowing article about you. You're not going to get this kind of press from anybody else. Uh, I thought I wrote a really nice piece and, um, and we haven't spoken since. And and he went and did a big deadline article, you know, about Half Brothers and and its star after that. And yeah, gave this uh, new announcement to Deadline on, on a platter. You know, had a, had a lot about it, uh, a lot of detail. 
listen, more power to him. I'm just happy that this project is getting made. When I was Luke's old intern, um, I read a version of the script. It's now called We Are Untouchable. It used to be called The Holiday Club. And I always thought it was, you know, among the more commercial projects that Luke was developing. It's about, uh, you know, basically the, the sons and daughters of diplomats who have diplomatic immunity. It extends to them and they can sort of get away with whatever they want. And so, you know, they get mixed up in, in drugs and sex and whatever and uh, obviously get in over their heads. And, you know, about someone who does, you know, with someone who doesn't really care about their diplomatic immunity. It's not going to save them from, from, you know, this villainous party or whatever. And, and so it's that kind of a movie. Again, this is an interesting play for SCX. I think it's a smart move. Uh, I'm glad that Luke finally got it off the ground. Um, yeah. Good, good luck, Luke. Get over it, baby. Call me. Um, elsewhere, Josh Gad starring in Roland Emmerich's movie Moonfall. I don't know if he's actually going to be the lead lead or just a sort, you know, one one of the second, third, or fourth leads because you know he he loves his men on a mission movies. I think this is one where it's basically like Armageddon with the moon, right? Like the moon falls out of gravity and is going to fall on the earth. I don't know what the hell it's about, but I love Josh Gad. I think you know he's always an interesting. He, you know, you know what this could be? This could be the Jeff Goldblum in Independence Day type of role. That's how I sort of think of it, where, you know, he could very well be the, the hero. I mean, everyone, you know, Will Smith is the, is the hero of Independence Day, but, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, Bill Pullman, they get a lot of credit. Randy Quaid, like, Will Smith didn't do it himself. And so I feel like Josh Gad is going to be one of those helper guys, and I like it. Uh, also nice to see Roland Emmerich returning to a movie I'd like actually go see because I think he's the past couple. I've just kind of been like, eh, whatever. Um, Vampire Chronicles coming to AMC. I never read the Anne Rice books. It, it sounds like they were always better suited for television. I mean, I love interview with the vampire. Don't get me wrong, but they've been developing these books for a long time now, you know, and, uh, for, for, for the movies. I think Josh Boone even had the rights at one point. He's going to do something for maybe universal. Um, uh, but yeah, AMC seems like a, a better fit. And, and speaking of AMC, how about that report that AMC Theaters was going to get bought by Amazon? It was actually the network. The Daily Mail mixed it up. I mean, it is an easy thing to confuse, but wow, like that affected stock prices and stuff. It was crazy. You got to be careful what you're reading and, and who you're trusting these days, folks. Um... Tamura, Tamura Morrison. Look at that. Tamura Morrison. Getting my tongue tied this morning. I think I need to, to hit my horchata here. Tamura Morrison is going to play Boba Fett in The Mandalorian. Now, he played Jango Fett in the, in the Star Wars universe elsewhere. Boba Fett apparently is a clone made from Jango Fett, so it only makes sense that the same actor would play Boba the guy's wearing a helmet either way. I don't know how much we we really see of him. Uh, I don't know how much we're going to see of him on season two of The Mandalorian. If he, if he has a big arc or if it's just a tiny little appearance that, you know, he's actually going to be more of a thing in season three. I don't know. But Disney Plus is very focused on The Mandalorian right now. It's sort of, you know, all the news that we're, we're getting out of there is Mandalorian, Mandalorian. And that's because it's really all they have until... Until they announced this week that they are actually going to release Hamilton the movie a year early this July 3rd on Disney+. Plus. Now, I feel like this is like, again, it's an arms race. 
Netflix is has been winning. Netflix, like I sit and I, and I look at my Prime Video icon on Amazon, and I'm like, what is Amazon doing right now? Like, I really like zero zero zero. That was released in March, I believe. But like. Where are the shows? Where is the new stuff? Where are the Glenn Gary leads? The movies that they're releasing, like you know, the biggest movie they put out was like Blow the Man Down, which was good. I really enjoyed Blow the Man Down, but like you got to give us more than that. Netflix is putting out Chris Hemsworth movies and like all this exciting stuff. Tiger King, what? It's Amazon. Pick up the slack. Why are you waiting until June for this Joseph Gordon-Levin movie? Throw that fucking thing on the service today. What is happening? Oh, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. These places need me to consult, I'm telling you. So anyways, Disney Plus has been losing a ton of ground to Netflix. I mean, you've got Quibi launching and, and all in the headlines for better and worse. And we'll talk about Quibi in a, in a second. You've got HBO Max launching in like 12 days. And yeah, Disney Plus had to throw an elbow and reassert itself. And so they're like, boom, Hamilton movie we paid 70 or $75 million for. Would have been a hit in theaters for sure. Now everybody gets to watch it for the cost of a $5 subscription on on Disney Plus. Um, I think it's a win for the service. Absolutely. It's definitely going to drive some eyeballs. It's something you can watch over and over again. I liked Hamilton. I think I paid a little bit too much for the tickets. I'm glad I got a chance to see it live, although it wasn't with the original cast. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think Stephanie's seen it, so I will probably show it to her because we have Disney Plus. And uh, yeah, see, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like a good call. Theater owners didn't seem to be too upset about it, which I don't understand. Although, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't want people singing all the, the Hamilton songs in the lobby of my movie theater. That would just drive me absolutely batshit crazy. Um, speaking of poor Disney, by the way, saw a Bugs Life fleshlight on sale for made out of a caterpillar, two thousand bucks. A fleshlight based on a Bugs Life. What is the world coming to? Uh, really liked SNL at home this week. We're bouncing around, guys. We're like a pinball. I'm going all over. It's just stream of consciousness. Really liked SNL. Or I'm sorry. Excuse me. I liked SNL at home this week. I didn't love it. I still think week two was the best one. The first one was like, give, again, give them credit for being brave, for, for trying something different. The second one, I feel like they, they figured it out and, and they, they kind of nailed it. And then this last week with Kristen Wiig, it kind of felt like, eh, I think we're all out. We've exhausted all we can with these uh, Zoom sketches. Um, but you know what? It's something to watch. It's, it's something to look forward to on a Saturday night. So I'm, I'm glad that they did it, and uh, we'll, we'll see who comes back next year from uh, from SNL and, and how they do it, if they continue to work remotely or if they, you know, quarantine the cast all week in New York City and, and return there or, or go someplace else to shoot. That'll it'll be very interesting. Um, yeah. Someone brought up, the, you know, that, that networks should be airing old pilots that they never moved forward with. I thought it was a great idea. Oh, my God. There were so many pilots that I would love to see that were commissioned and never made it to air. Like the, the Nikki Fink uh, HBO series, Tilda, that would have starred Diane Keaton and I believe Ellen Page. Uh, 
what else? They write HBO had the corrections with Ewan McGregor from Noah Baumbach. Like there's just so many fascinating pilots and it's like, now's the time to experiment. Like who knows if, you know, one of these things catches on and then, and then you can, you know, reunite the cast years later uh, to actually do the series once things get up and running again. As for when things will get up and running again, I have no idea. LA just issued another th- uh, three-month extension. The, the orders have been very confusing. We're getting, you know, one thing from Garcetti, one thing from Newsom. I'm in Santa Monica, which is like a different government than LA. Uh, it, it just, can I go to the beach? Can I go on a hike? What can I do? I know I got to wear, I always, you know, would anyways, but a mask and gloves wherever you go. But it is very confusing, like what is allowed. And same thing with like restaurants. So like, you, they're open, but you can't dine in. But so it's takeout. Wasn't that how it was before? It it beats the hell out of me. Uh, I know that the Matrix, at least you know the people at Warner Brothers, they're planning on resuming production in early July. I think on the Matrix. The thing about that is that they're, they don't, they're not filming here in America. I think that they were overseas, possibly in London. Uh, could have been Germany as well. And obviously things are starting to open up in other parts of the world, I think a little bit sooner. I think America has to be cautious. That, that's a good thing. I just, so they, they signed the actors to eight week extensions and, the, and it said it puts them on hold until July 6th. So that just means that they can't go work on something else right now, right? Because what happens if July 6th comes and they're not quite ready to start production then they have to, you know, extend everybody again. So, I mean, I think, I don't know if it's just like a show the whole point of that story was to show that the actors are still getting paid during this time because they're on a hold. Like, I don't, I'm not quite sure how it, it's all working or at least what the point of that story was since you would assume that all these people are on holds, right? It's not like, we're, you know, production's going to resume and Cam's going to be like, well, I did my eight weeks on this movie and it's like half finished. They got to renegotiate with the guy. I mean, maybe it is like that. I don't know how the contracts are worded, but it seems like everyone will just pick up where they left off. Who knows though? Are there actually stars holding out being like, I'm not actually returning to this half finished picture unless you guys pay me for the entire quarantine while I was on hold. Only in Hollywood though. I guess that's time for Tenet Watch. On today's Tenet Watch, we check in with, is Tenet coming out in theaters? As of now, it is. It's still on board uh, or on tap for July 17th. No changes yet. Warner Brothers was supposed to decide by the end of the week about the fate of uh, Tenet. And for all I know, in the, in the time that it takes me to post this podcast and write it up for the site, Warner Brothers could issue some kind of announcement. But as of right now, Tenet is still on the calendar. And Thompson speculated that there's a lot of chatter, chatter that they could buy themselves another month by moving Tenet to August 14th. And Wonder Woman, that's, that was their placeholder for Wonder Woman 1984, pushed that to December, probably taking the place of Dune and then kicking Dune to 2021. Or maybe they'll move Wonder Woman to summer 2021 and just really push it a full year. I don't know. But uh, it seems like Tenet is definitely the movie that is on the, the, the tip of everyone's tongue right now, more so than, than Mulan uh, or, or Wonder Woman. And so everybody's sort of waiting to see what Warner Brothers decides. There, there is, listen, there are sites writing open letters to Christopher Nolan, please don't release Tenet, because it, it, could, it honestly could lead to a wave of, you know, in, infections. And uh, it's just, man, 
you got you got to pull the plug on this one, Warner Brothers, and and I'm almost ninety nine percent sure uh, certain that they will. Um, but you know who's not pulling the plug on anything? They're marching forward. Solstice Studios, Mark Gill's company, which is behind uh, Unhinged, the new Russell Crowe road rage thriller. Although road rage is you know an understatement in terms of how to describe what what happens in this movie. Um, I thought it looked good. The trailer. It looks like a lot of B-movie fun. Russell Crowe's kind of perfect for that role. They want to release on July 1st. <laughs> In theaters. Now, this is like a movie that's clearly built for VOD. I mean, it sounded expensive at, at 30, if it is $30 million, which was the figure that I saw. That's a little pricey for a Russell Crowe B-movie. Um, you know, unless it was intended for a theatrical release all along, but even then... You know, how how much does a movie like that really gross in theaters? I don't know if that's more of an international play. Um, yeah, it's just, again, seems irresponsible. But if you're Solstice Studios, maybe it's worth a shot. I don't know what kind of theaters are open. I don't know if they're planning a, a drive-through, yeah, a drive-through, a drive-in release. You know, because those are the only theaters that are really open now uh in fact i think i read a story that woody allen's a rainy day in new york which doesn't even like play here in america is the world's uh biggest movie this week between all the international you know box office receipts and whatnot which is wild um oh speaking of movies that are pressing ahead not just unhinged on july 1st but the new mutants has another release date august 28th uh is that labor day weekend I don't know if it's that weekend or the following weekend, but either way, we a weird date, not that things matter because time means nothing. Well, what is the difference between a prime summer release date and late August or early January? Who who knows? I barely know what day it is. I know it's Friday only because I'm here taping this podcast. That's it. Time has lost all meaning. Russell Crowe, meanwhile, who we were just talking about, has signed on to star in Ratman's remake of A Prophet. Not a fan of the name Ratman. Think you gotta, you know, move yourself away from that. Even The Rock has done that. He goes by Dwayne Johnson now. So Ratman, uh, you know. Uh, anyways, because not every movie is gonna be like Blue Story, which I liked. I liked Ratman's movie Blue Story, but he, you know, Ratman himself plays the chorus, like the Greek chorus. He's like the narrator who comes in and, and raps uh, about you know sort of what we just saw. Uh, so I, I don't know if there will be room for him in this prison movie, uh, A Prophet, based on the uh, French film. I'm sorry, the movie's called American Sun. It's based on A Prophet. So they're using a different name, and, and understandably so, because a lot of people would be like, uh, A Prophet? I don't want to see a movie about you know religion or whatever. It's a faith-based movie. It's not that at all. It's an extremely violent prison movie. Russell Crowe, uh, I assume, is going to be playing the Niels Aristrup role. And it's, again, it's pretty good casting. Pretty interesting. So we'll see who they get uh, to sort of play that Tahar Rahim role, if I think I'm remembering that movie correctly. Um, Will Forte signing on to a Netflix series based on the DC comic Sweet Tooth. This is about a, a half boy, half deer. Who comes up with this stuff? Who's it for? I won't be watching whatever. But villainize me. Villainize me because I'm not interested. Which brings up the Sofia Coppola series. Apple uh, ordered this thing. The custom of the country. Custom of the country. The custom of the country. Based on the 1913 Edith Wharton novel. It's about a young Midwestern girl who moves to New York and 
her uh, sort of rise up uh, high society, her entry into high society. Um, yeah, just didn't do it for me. And it's like, and Twitter came for me, folks. Sophia's publicist came for me. The, the otherwise delightful Bumble Ward, who when I said I have zero interest in this series, said how very 1998 Republican of me. I was 14 years old in 1998. I don't know what a 1998 Republican is supposed to mean. I mean, I'm a 36-year-old dude. Like, am I supposed to be excited for an adaptation of a 1913 Edith Wharton novel? I don't care who's making it. Like, that is just not... if, If I was... Like, I always go by, what would my brothers think? What would my high school buddies think? And if I was like, guys, you really got to watch this Sofia Coppola show on Apple. It's based on his 1913 Edith Wharton novel. They'd go, let me stop you right there. I'm not interested. Now, I, you know, I, I have nothing against Sofia Coppola. I think she's okay. I like, I like The Beguiled, and I like The Virgin Suicides. I think Lost in Translation is, is okay, but a little overrated. Didn't really get all what all the fuss was about with Lost in Translation. Maybe that makes me stupid. And then there's movies like Marie Antoinette and Somewhere that I just did not like. And I didn't even bother to see The Bling Ring because it's like, that doesn't appeal to me. And that's the thing. We get to choose in this country what we want to be excited for and what we don't want to be excited for. So me saying zero interest sparks this guy, Jason Bailey, to, to write, you know, fuck Jeff Snyder. It's an, you know, uh, it's an evergreen tweet, but, but seriously, fuck this guy. Like, dude, he's like the worst person on Twitter. The worst. And he's obsessed with me. I blocked him years ago. And it's like he can't help but look over the other side of that fence so that he can, real, you know, jump back in horror and scream. And look at what is happening here on Jeff Snyder's Twitter. He's slagging the great Sofia Coppola with the great oppressed people of the Coppola family and Apple. Like, this guy wants to see himself as the defender of the internet. He's maybe the biggest asshole on the entire platform. And it's like, bro, just, like, I don't like what you do. You don't like what I do. We don't have to look at each other's stuff. Stop looking. He's the screen, I call him the screenshot queen. He's like, I've got a screenshotter for all posterity. Like, I'm not deleting it. I have nothing. I don't feel bad at all. I said I'm not interested in Sofia Coppola's next series. Oh, my God. And it had nothing to do with the commerciality of it. Because if you had asked me about Dickinson, another movie or another Apple show that I was like, God, like, this has, this does nothing for me. I'm not even going to watch this. That show proved to be a hit for the service. So, I admit that. I am eating my words, uh, Alex Goldstone, or whatever. Like, that show found its audience, and I'm sure that the custom of the country, Greenlight, came in response to the numbers on Dickinson. Apple saying, we have this, you know, audience of young teenage girls, you know, whatever it is, whoever's watching Dickinson, sounds like, you know, that they, if they like Emily Dickinson, maybe they'd be interested in the Edith Wharton show particularly from someone with the, the stature of Sofia Coppola. So, you know, my, and I, and I meant good luck to Apple, you know, but l- looking at the landscape 
Okay, and, and this is what Jason Bailey and people like him don't like engage with. And they because like, I'm an industry reporter. The custom of the country is not a show that will get people to subscribe to the service like a Lord of the Rings or you know these other big IPs that Apple can certainly afford. Apple needs to develop big IP like that. And I'm sorry, that's just the name of the game. And so it doesn't matter that it's Sofia Coppola. The custom of the country, a 1913 Edith Wharton novel, no matter how good it is, is not what I would be looking for as a development executive. That's just me. You know? So it's fine. It's fine that it doesn't appeal to me. But, like, we, there has to be room for dissent, for disagreement. And, it, and again, I know I, I'm a bit of a dick on, on Twitter. Uh, you know, I have a certain – I've cultivated a certain persona. I've got an edge. And I'm going to call out – you know, I praise a zillion things each week that I like. There's also going to be things that I don't like. And you got to take the good with the bad. Otherwise, it, all of it means nothing. So, Jason Bailey – Stay on your side of the fence, bro. Leave me alone. I don't want to hear from you. Keep my name out of your mouth. I'll keep your name out of my mouth. Seems like a fair deal. I have a bigger reach than you. (sighs) What else do we have this week before I jump into mailbag questions and the like? There were some bigger things that I wanted to do. Oh, man, Dan Mintz, the valiant guy, he did... (laughs) He did this interview on Deadline where he was basically like just talking up the, con- uh, the the company's like, you know, stable of comic book characters. And he's like, well, you know, if, if, if Marvel's TV, were HBO. <laughs> and it was just like, this guy is delusional. I am familiar with the, with the Valiant Comics universe. Uh, they were actually really kind enough to send me a whole bunch of, of things to, to pour over. I, you know, Harbinger was interesting. That was about it. Look at Bloodshot. Look at how it performed. I know the, you know, you could call it a victim of the pandemic, but I don't think it was going to do any business before the pandemic. Let's be honest here. And those are, that's your biggest thing, Bloodshot and Harbinger. So from there, I mean, you're telling me some of these, you know, the, the Ninja K and some of these things, give me a break. These are always going to be B, C, D level comic book properties. And, you know, Marvel has its own, DC has its own, but, you can't compete with those brands. And this interview, I, I mean, you, you got to call him on this stuff. If I was the interviewer, I'd be like, what are you talking about, dude? That's the thing about the trades. They sort of just let everybody say, you know, this is the greatest. Aren't I the greatest? Great, 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 great. And they never really take a look at the reality of the situation. Um, Phil Lord tweeting about how uh, if you love movies, how can you spend so much time slagging movies? I mean, Phil, we we love movies, but not every movie's great. I don't care how hard you worked on a movie. It still costs me the same. I don't care if there are people who just lazily tossed off some studio movie or someone who spent 10 years working on this amazing indie movie. Like, it's it doesn't matter. I still have to pay for, you know, I obviously go to a lot of press meetings. I still pay for a zillion movies each year. Believe me. Believe me. And it's like, I still got to pay the same amount. So it doesn't matter what the budget is. It's like, uh, it doesn't matter how, how much your effort was or how much passion you poured into it. Like, come on, Phil. Come on. There's good movies and there's bad movies. And it's fine to call bad movies bad. 
you know, once you start making movies professionally, and particularly people who get paid millions of dollars a year, you are open to criticism. I make a fraction of that. I make nothing. And I'm open to criticism every single day. You can go online and see what I worked on every day. So I'm sorry, athletes, movie stars, directors, I'm not going to feel bad for you when you get criticism. I'm just not. That's why you get the money. You can cry into the pillowcases full of money. Um, the best of the 90s list. World of Real did that this week. I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, everybody sort of chimed in with their top five 90s movies. I went with um, Pulp Fiction, The Silence of the Lambs, Goodfellas, Heat, and Seven. And I think Seven's just a, a perfect movie. And listen, it killed me to leave off Magnolia and Boogie Nights, uh, Usual Suspects, a whole bunch of others. Um, fortunately, Magnolia and Boogie Nights made the top ten, both of them. They were back-to-back, which is what I love, because that, that argument in my head is one of the hardest movie arguments that I've ever had to do. So clearly, film Twitter uh, could, not, could not decide. It's not just film Twitter. There are other people like Uva Boll who contributed to this poll. But the best of the 90s list wound up being uh, Goodfellas, one, Pulp Fiction, Silence of the Lambs, Fargo. I love Fargo. Fargo would have been in my top ten as well. Eyes Wide Shut. Chum King Express from Wong Kar Wai. Magnolia and Boogie Nights, both from Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson. Close Up from Abbas Kiarostami and The Thin Red Line from Terrence Malick. Uh, other movies uh, in the top 30, Unforgiven, Schindler's List, The Matrix, L.A. Confidential, Heat, the Big Lebowski, The Piano, Saving Private Ryan, Groundhog Day, Being John Malkovich, Jackie Brown, All About My Mother. Um, I think it's a pretty good list, all things considered. And there's definitely some movies like Satan Tango, Sit and Tango, and Bo Travail from Claire Denis, uh, Bellatar. Uh, they made me want to go like check those out. I haven't seen those movies. You know, I'm not... I'm not uh, I love indie movies, don't get me wrong, but I also am not like the hardcore IndieWire subscriber. Um, so yeah, Bellatar, Claire Denis, Kiristami, Wong Kar Wai, like, you know, I have not seen those movies and, and, and them being on so many lists made me want to, you know, add them to my own. Then there were some movies where it was just like, this is really, someone thought this was top five of the 90s worthy. Like someone thought Blade was top five of the 90s or the Scorsese movie Bringing Out the Dead. Like, I couldn't stand that movie when I watched it as, as a teen. Um, yeah, some some weird stuff on that list. Uh, Scott Feinberg released his first Emmy predictions today. I thought that those were kind of interesting. I just wanted to, to offer some quick thoughts. I mean, they, he, I'd love to see Homeland nominated uh, for Best Drama in its final season. I thought it was a, a pretty strong season. Otherwise, I think Scott is pretty spot on here. Ozark had a great year. I think it's, you know, this is probably Succession's Emmy to lose, but I loved what Ozark did and The Morning Show, and people swear by Better Call Saul as well. Uh, Westworld seems like something that, you know, could could possibly not make the cut. Um, Best comedy series, Curb is in there. That's really the only one that I watch space force listed as a major threat i think we're embargoed on space force so i can't talk about my thoughts on it but as far as major threat goes for an award i am going to disagree on that one i would love to see fx's dave 
bust into the Emmy race. You know, Emmy loves its its first year darlings. Dave was amazing. It's FX's highest rated comedy ever, I believe. Uh, yeah, would love to see that recognized. Best limited series. Man, this is tough. Unbelievable. Watchmen. I know this as much is true. Those are three of the best shows I've seen all year. There's a bunch of other stuff defending Jacob, the loudest voice on Showtime. Uh, and people, some people are starting to tell me to watch Quiz on AMC. So, uh, oh, God, old, too old to die young, zero, zero, zero. It was a goddamn great year for, for limited series. Best TV movie. Got to go with Bad Education here. I mean, I thought uh, Hugh Jackman did a great job on that one. Was mixed on the, the Breaking Bad movie, El Camino overall. American Son. So this is a, as a front runner. Oh, couldn't stand that movie. Best actor in a drama. Ooh, this is stacked. Odenkirk, Brian Cox, Bateman, Jeremy Strong. I wonder if those succession guys split the vote. Hmm. Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian. You gotta be kidding me. Like, I, I hate, I hate, I mean, obviously this is Scott's job, but like it drives me nuts when because Variety does it every year when they list like, well, these are the movies that could be nominated for, for Best Picture, and it's just lists everybody and everyone who could possibly be nominated for uh, an award, and it's like this person has no chance, no chance. But their publicist had to make sure that they get that mention. Frontrunners for actress Laura Linney up against the Killing Eve ladies. Jennifer Aniston, she was really good. Laura Linney was wonderful in, in Ozark. Man, I hope that she gets it. Uh, I'm glad that Scott agrees that she is one of the front runners. God, Billy Crudup was great on the morning show. Tom Pelfrey has got to be there for Ozark. I'm just really stumping for Ozark hard, man. Uh, supporting actress, look at this. Julia Garner, Laura Dern. Listen, it's going to be an interesting Emmys. I know, uh, I think one of the trades wrote a big, like, why we need the Emmys this year more than ever sort of thing. I don't know if that's actually the case. The like, it's not, it's not worth. Uh, if you could find like a fun way to do it remotely and digitally and everything, then sure. But it's yeah, the days of, of the award show and the red carpet with all the press around you, those days are over. You know, I don't know. I think the Emmys are, are always in September. I don't know if they could push them to October, November. I don't know if things are going to be opened back up by then. If we're still going to be living like this, so. I don't think if the TV Academy is looking to make any drastic decisions, they, they have, um, you know, been, been tweaking their rules here and there in anticipation of, of, you know, certain events, but uh, I don't know, man, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with all this. I mean, everything's canceled though. Like I don't understand how we're still talking about movies coming out in July and August. The Hollywood bowl is canceled its entire year. My, my summer camp back in Massachusetts that called off its year. Uh, it sucks. It's, I feel, you know, like this was my first summer living with my girlfriend. We're supposed to have a great time. It sucks. It's, it's, but like, we got to adapt. It's adapt or die. Um, all right, let's take some mailbag questions because I promised you guys that I would. Let's see here. Just a second. Bear with me. I had to put, uh, this is from Sammy K, Sammy ZK95. If you had to put money on it today, do you think the Oscars will happen or will it be canceled? Whether it's because of the virus or the lack of 2020 releases. Uh, hmm. Man. 
I mean, as of right now, I would say that they're canceled because it seems like it's just Netflix releasing movies. Like to release all these awards contenders that the studios have invested money in directly onto VOD, it doesn't make financial sense for them. And ultimately they're a business at the end of the day, they exist to make money. While yes, awards can help them win money. It's like, I don't think that the Academy would hold the Oscars if they're just awarding an Oscar to whatever the best Netflix movie was that came out. So I think that in that case, yeah, they would just push the ceremony a year and, and award things for either, they'd either push it a year and have one ceremony where they give out one set of awards that, that, rec- that recognizes two years worth of movies or maybe they go a year and a half. Maybe there's two ceremonies that honor movies set o- that, that came out over a year and a half period. You know, so so two uh, Oscar ceremonies are affected by it. Either way, um, I don't think you can just have a normal ceremony in February honoring the top streaming releases of the year because there's so many movies that did not come out. And and I don't and I don't know if they will come out or if they will be made available just to you know Academy members or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's it's tricky, hard to say. Um, let's search the rest of the questions. Do, 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 do. Will AT&T destroy WB? It's certainly making me confused as like there's 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 WB and then there's Warner Media and then there's HBO and HBO Max, and there's DC, you know, universe uh, streaming service, and there's just like all, it's just too much. Like I need some consolidation. I need, plus there's still New Line. Like it's, it feels like you know when there used to be Paramount, uh, you know, Vantage and Fox Atomic, and there's just all these like fucking things. Like I don't know if AT&T will destroy WB. WB is one of the biggest, you know, entertainment brands in the world. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely haven't loved what I've seen. Like you can just see in the, in the development patterns that Warner brothers is not buying as much stuff as they used to. The stuff that they're buying is a little bit different. It is, it's a little depressing. Things are, are totally different over there than I feel like they were a decade ago. And that, that is sad. Um, on the other hand, you know, they've also been empowered to, t- to take some big swings. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if anything can come out of this J.J. Abrams deal. Uh, that's from Tank of Snoke's Abbott's Gear 391. David Drano, Get em Scientist, says, Dear Insider, how many Tampa games will you be watching this season to see your boys, Tom and Grunk? Apparently, Pats and Bucks games won't overlap more than twice. All regular season by some co- coincidence, I smell a conspiracy. I'm going to watch as many as I can, man. I mean, anytime that they play on national TV, I'm going to watch them. Uh, I think everybody in New England is kind of rooting for for the Bucks, you know, and, until the the Super Bowl at least. You know, who cares what happens in the NFC? The Patriots don't. Um, yeah, best of luck to, to Tom and Gronk. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm grateful that I hopefully will get a chance to watch them again. Shawnee McGill, pace eating axes. Do you think John Favreau will go down as this generation's new Steven Spielberg? If not, who do you think is on that level or will end their career on that level? I mean, that is tough to say. I mean, he could be. Uh, I don't know. No, probably not. Because I I just don't think that John Favreau could make a movie 
like Schindler's List or, or, or even Saving Private Ryan. Like, I, I'm not, like, I could see him making, I don't know. There's a certain wonder that I think that John Favreau lacks um, as much as I, you know, like a lot of his stuff. You know, because I, I, I caught myself saying John Favreau could make E.T. I don't know that John Favreau could make E.T. Um, but he could do something like Indiana Jones. I could see that. I could see that working for him. Who do I think would end their career on that level? Uh, I don't know. That's a tough question, Shani. I, I, I wish I could help you with that one. I don't want to make any bold proclamations, give some of these young guys a, a big head. Um, do you think as a result of all the delays and release changes, once people feel comfortable again, the overcrowd and influx of big title releases helps or hurts the theater industry in the next year or two? I mean, you know, I think that some, like when you have all these, this, this pile up of big movies, not all of them are going to be able to survive. Like you're going to have big releases on top of each other. And so some of those movies are going to, to be sacrificed to the, to the movie gods, so to speak. Uh, I think it's going to be a good thing that, that we have all these big movies piled up because, you know, once it is safe, people will want to return to theaters. I know I'm, you know, clawing uh, at the door to, to go to the theaters, but it all has to be done responsibly, Ricky. Uh, that was from Ricky DeVillis. Thank you for writing in. Um, yeah, and then some Joe questions. I think that'll 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 do it for the mailbag portion of the show. Is there anything else I wanted to talk about? Yeah, I mean, again, um, a couple you know announcements and, and just quick movie reviews. Capone, I watched. You know, really wanted to to like this one. I thought it looked good. I liked uh, the the trailer. Um, but yeah, I, I I just like Al Capone. Felt to me like the script was only half there on this movie. Uh, I'm glad that Josh Trank you know, doesn't care what, what people think, nor should he. And he made the movie he wanted to make. And, and you know, it really speaks to what he's all about as an artist. And, and I think that's great for him. Because um, he was obviously not in a good place after Fantastic Four. But, you know, as much as I'm rooting for the guy to make a comeback, uh, this was this is a tough movie to watch. I understand what he was going for. Uh, I don't think he, he really nailed it. Um, Tom Hardy... You got to respect the guy's commitment. Commitment. He's rolling around in shit multiple times in this movie. You can barely understand the thing that he says. I don't. I don't know why he continues to to play these characters where you, you know you don't really have to understand him. I watched it with subtitles on, to be perfectly honest, because I'd been warned ahead of time that it was a little tough to understand. Uh, listen, it's not. It's a movie not without its moments. It, it does have a couple scenes that are like, oh shit, like you know that that's crazy. Uh, I like the cinematography. I like how the movie looked. I liked how the movie sounded. The, the score by LP, who's one half of uh, Run the Jewels. But uh, yeah, on the whole, I can't really recommend this one. The same goes for The Wrong Missy. And I'm the, I am the world's number one David Spade fan. Like, I, I joke about that sometimes. Like, oh yeah, I'm Jake Gyllenhaal's I'm number one fan, which I think that I am. But I'm sure that there's someone out there who's probably a bigger Jake Gyllenhaal fan than me. I doubt that there's a bigger David Spade, Spade fan out there than me. But I did not like this this new side of Spade. I like smarmy Spade. I like sarcastic Spade. And here he's the sort of boring vanilla straight man uh, who's just the brunt of, of you know, the, the bald jokes and stuff. Um, listen, some critics gave him credit for it in their reviews. Like, the movie's not getting beat up. And it's certainly not the worst Happy Madison movie by any stretch. Uh, but I stayed up late to watch it on, on Thursday night. So I, I was probably like the first person to watch the, the wrong Missy. I, I watched it the minute that it came uh, available on the surface. 
And yeah, it was just a little too obnoxious and all over the place. Lauren Lapkus was a little much for me. She, she goes very big here. She's getting a lot of praise for her comic turn. It, it, it is like a, a female Jim Carrey, if you will, but it just was not my cup of tea. Uh, so I'd skip that one. You got to watch. I know this much is true though. Uh, the Mark Ruffalo show is incredible. Uh, I gave it, you know, a, a rave review. Uh, he does amazing work. Derek Sion France is just an, a, an amazing observer of the relationships between men. And again, I'm a sucker for this. You know, I've, I've got a place behind the uh, place beyond the pines poster behind me. You know, I, I love Mark Ruffalo. I have two younger brothers, but there was just something so heartbreaking uh, about this show. And so, you know, I know it's not a tough sit uh, and it may not be how you want to end your weekend on a Sunday night, but it, it is really very special. Um, so I hope that you'll give it a chance. Whew. R.I.P. A couple people, uh, Jack Matthews, the longtime New York Daily News film critic. I used to exchange emails with him uh, when I ran Variety's Crick's Picks, and he was always, you know, a really nice old school kind of guy. Uh, I liked his writing quite a bit. Um, so, so you know, he, he's, he's going to be missed. And to read that he only, like, he just got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer like a week or two ago. Like, imagine being told you have a week or two to live. That is wild. Um, so, my, you know, my heart goes out to his family. Um, no, no tears, though, for, for Jerry Stiller. Like, he, he was 92. He lived an incredible life. He's reunited with the love of his life and Mira up in, up in heaven. Um, but, yeah, uh, RIP Jerry Stiller. I, I watch this guy every single night. I watch Seinfeld just about every night. I love his Frank Costanza. I was watching Seinfeld when, when that email blast came in and yeah, it threw me for a loop. Um, you know, and reading more about him this week and watching stuff, I, I found the New York uh, Friars Club roast of Jerry Stiller, which features Ben Stiller doing a set about his dad. J- Jason Alexander's the host. Definitely track that down on YouTube. Um, I want to thank Todd Garner for having me on his podcast, the producer's guide this week. He, you know, he's a, he's a big time producer has worked a lot with Kevin James um, and yeah, just a really, really smart, uh, you know, interesting guy. And so it was, it was a pleasure to talk to Todd on his podcast. You can check that out on podcast one and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks to Emma Fife for having me on her, uh, Schmodown game, uh, day thing with, uh, playing Jackbox games. That was uh, a blast. Thanks to John Roker for having me on his, the Outlaw Nation show on Tuesday night. We talked for two hours. It flew by. Track down uh, that episode because I, I promise you it's worth your while. He asked a lot of great questions. Um, I think that that will do it for this episode of the Snyder Cut, folks. Thank you so much for watching. I truly appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. Try to get some sun, but do it while staying safe. Wear that mask. Uh, wash those hands. And I will see you next week. Later, guys. Why do millions of Americans choose to sleep on Bolin Branch sheets? Is it the 100% organic cotton? Is it that they get softer and softer over time? Customers can't stop raving about these sheets, and there's no better time to try them for yourself or give them to someone you love. Right now, Bolin Branch is offering their best deals of the year, and you can get their incredibly soft sheets at incredibly low prices. Just go to bowlandbranch.com to shop their best deals today. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com today. See site for details. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? 
Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.